What's up, pals? Host of the Riverdale Review, Pete and Bessie, here to let you guys know about a little technical issue we had on this episode. Unfortunately, during the last 20 minutes or so of the episode, there are a few little audio hiccups in my audio specifically, uh, every few minutes where my audio will skip, and uh, I become a little hard to understand, but the context of the conversation does carry through. We had a great episode with a great guest this week uh, that we were unfortunately not able to uh, reshoot, so we didn't want to scrap the whole episode for what amounts to about... 20 seconds of messed up audio so hopefully you guys can bear with us and uh we'll have it figured out by next week thank you guys so much and enjoy this episode of the riverdale review live from the booth that pops it's time for the riverdale review what's up internet welcome back to episode two of the riverdale review the pals uh, weekly riverdale review podcast which i guess you could tell from the title so, I want to introduce our guest this week, uh, Miss Olivia Hicks, who's a friend of the show, friend of Kale's. So, Olivia, why don't you just real quick for the people at home, tell them what you do and uh, why you're here today. Hi, I'm Olivia. I'm in Dundee at the moment. I'm a comics PhD student and I study British and American girls comics and look at superheroes in them. So, and I've been trying to get Archie into it for ages. So this is a dream come true for me to be able to talk about Archie. We're really, we're really excited to have you here. So uh, what is your relationship with Riverdale? Like, did, did you get on right at the beginning? Did you catch it over the summer like a lot of people on Netflix? What's your what's your deal with the show? I was a Riverdale hipster, so I missed the sort of opening panel. <laughs> but like, I was kind of following the news of it being announced, and every new thing they were announcing, I was loving it more and more. Like they were like very early on, they were like, "Oh, Archie's going to be going out with Grundy," and I was like, "That's terrible! I love it!" And so I was. <laughs> so the day after it kind of came out in the US, I was like watching it on. It came out basically much this next day on the UK Netflix for us. So in the UK, if you were into into Archie, you could basically watch it from the beginning at the same time. Oh, that's awesome. From like episode one, I've been watching it a day after everybody else in the US, and uh, it's just been brilliant, and I'm so glad it's kicked off in the way it has. So, um, so you were a fan of Archie before Riverdale? Yes, I was, but not for probably that long before Riverdale, maybe about a year and a half I've been reading all the okay. Archie titles. So did you get into it with the new Riverdale stuff when they relaunched in 2015? Yeah. Uh, yes. No. Probably a little bit before that, with the actual afterlife of Archie, and then okay. I was like, ran to the comic shop the day the new Archie title came out to see if I could get it, and they didn't have it, so I had to wait for the trades. And because of that one annoying guy not having the comic in, I've always been behind on the trades with Archie. But it's worth waiting for. It's really good stuff. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. So before we get into our uh, spoiler-free thoughts on uh, episode 15 this week, uh, I did want to just thank you guys for tuning in last week and making this show. A success. Uh, We did end up getting a good amount of listenership, so uh, we're really thankful for you guys for tuning in. Thank you so much for wanting to hear us gab about Riverdale. Um, So, so yeah, remember we'd love to hear from you. If you guys want to let us know your thoughts on Riverdale, you can uh, write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can get us on social media at thecomicspals and uh, support us on your platform of choice. You know, if you're an audio listener, like us on your platform of choice. If you're on YouTube, please like, share with your friends, subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, We'd greatly appreciate it. So, um, before we get into all that, uh, I did have some context for la- from last week's show that I wanted to throw in here. So, it's just a little bit of news about Riverdale. The Hollywood Reporter is uh, reporting that Riverdale earned series high returns uh, for season two, episode one. So, it had a, a .8 rating among adults 18 to 49, which is kind of like the prime demographic, and then uh, had 2.3 million viewers, which was the CW's most watched telecast among teenagers since The Vampire Diaries uh, hit its peak back oh, wow. in like two, uh, 2012. So, yeah, so this is like a really, really big win for Riverdale. Um, the growth is being attributed to high numbers online because they put basically the entire thing uh, for you for yeah. you to be able to watch online after the fact. And then, um, as I kind of said before, the show's massive second life that it found on Netflix, um, especially in the States. So that uh, it definitely seems like season two is off to a strong start here. And uh, yeah, here's hoping that it keeps that momentum because uh, we're definitely enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome to hear. Um and I, I guess pretty interesting that that's how sort of it like worked out. It, it's rating that much higher because of the decision to put them out like the day after, you know, on online. I mean, a lot of TV shows are doing it now. I know South Park does it. I follow South Park. So like, um, yeah, it's just a smart move. Yeah, it's just interesting because a lot of times it seems to be like that's on Hulu. You know, it's like South right. Park kind of started doing that like years ago um, and was kind of a trailblazer in that way of putting your content online for free. Mm-hmm. Um but this is one of the first examples we have in like recent memory of 
a show like finding a second life online that actually translated into people tuning in to watch it on television. Because another great example is like um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is another network show that has not done great in ratings, but has such a strong cult following and does really well on Netflix. So they keep renewing it, but it hasn't necessarily translated to more people actually tuning in to watch the show, which is the case for Riverdale. So that's great. Um, And I guess it speaks to how activated the fan base seems to be around it. I'm such a proud mama hearing all of that news. I'm just like, you go, girl. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, thank God. I, I, I love to see a show that I love actually performing well. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's give our spoiler-free impressions. Olivia, since, since you're our guest, why don't you kick it off? What did you think of uh, episode, uh, what is this, 15, right? 15. Yeah, 15. What did you think about it? It was amazing. I was watching it and some people, I had my headphones in, so people were in the room and they could just hear my reactions to the episode. And it was just me screaming, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. And then like my legs would be kicking and I was like, ah, the whole time. It was an absolutely brilliant episode. I felt last episode wasn't that great a Riverdale episode. So I feel like this one, we're right back in the thick of it. Oh wow, you didn't you didn't like the premiere? I felt like I liked it, but I felt it was like a bit of a filler episode. I felt like not a lot really okay. happened. And for Riverdale, I'm kinda of used to like sixteen different things happened in an episode. So I felt like this was felt much more like Riverdale back like back in the Riverdale swing of things, whereas last episode was a bit more slow and introductory, I felt. I mean, this episode was definitely a lot meatier. Um, and we were definitely big fans of last week's show as well. But I mean, uh, just for like anecdotal context, like for last week's show, I had a page of notes going into the episode. For this one, I have three pages. Whoa. So right. yeah, this was a meaty episode. <laughs> so what about you, Marco? What do you think? Yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, it was great. Um, so I, I usually catch these trying I try to catch these on the train on my way home. Um, and so like I saw the first five minutes before the internet cut out finally. And that train ride home was so long. I was craving, uh, for that, <laughs> the, that like hour. Um, and it was, it was awesome. It was really, really good. Uh, some of the, those little twists and turns were not expected. Um, sort of seeing how other characters were introduced, other characters that I know from like the comics, um, so that was cool to see, you know, you get to see like more of that, that cast, um, from the Archie books and yeah, overall I am pumped for, um, for the next episode to see where this, where this crazy story is leading us. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. Uh, I also thought the episode was great and, um, I think that has been, the real success of Riverdale all along, but I think it's been, it's already off to a good start this season, which is that like the overall plot, like the overall arc as it were is, is really interesting and engaging in that like murder mystery in season one and the, you know, um, kind of, you know, I'm assuming you watched episode one at this point, right? So I can spoil that. The, uh, you know, mystery of who is behind the, this new string of attacks in Riverdale, right? That is engaging enough to keep you going, but I think what yeah. really makes me, um, re- what makes resonate, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what makes Riverdale resonate with me, excuse me, <laughs> is that there are so many smaller human stories going on all the time with like pretty much every other character that like they do a really good job of balancing, you know, like, there are still a few supporting characters who we really haven't gotten much from this season. Um, most notably, probably Kevin. But the fact that like each character has their own arc that's going on that's completely independent of everyone else, at least to some degree, usually, uh, is something that I think really keeps me engaged just because there's always something to be kind of, there's always a thread to be pulling at, you know? And yeah. I think that's really to the show's benefit. Um, so any other final thoughts before we move into the spoiler full section? I had like a page of notes, but it just kind of descended into emojis. That's what Riverdale does to me. (laughs) (laughs) You just hit a point where you're just like, I, I, in my notes, I have like a bunch of things where it's just like, uh, just a few words and a heart, you know? <laughs> oh, I did hearts. I descended into hearts because one of my ships was very strong this episode. I just descended into drawing hearts around their name. <laughs> uh, well, without spoiling what happened, who who is that ship? It's Shirozi, which is not it's not a real ship, but it's like um, Cheryl and Josie. Okay. The, the yeah. chemistry ah. was very strong this episode, and I was quite happy. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally see that. Um... 
All right, well, so we'll, we'll get into more of that in the spoiler full section. So uh, if you haven't seen episode two yet, or episode 15, I guess, I don't know how we want to discuss these, but uh, now would be the time to jump out if you're a person who's worried about spoilers. If you don't mind having it spoiled and you want to emotionally prepare for the episode, stick around. Um, we hope that you'll come back and check it out after you've watched the episode if you haven't already. If not, we'll see you next week. So... Uh, this episode is largely centered, um, on the fight to keep pops open, right? Which Mm -hmm. I think kind of played into one of the larger themes of Riverdale, uh, as a whole that we saw a lot in season one, which is kind of the realities of the present, um, corrupting elements of the past or like the idealized view of the past. Um, and I think, you know, Jughead calls pops the latest casualty, in this, this war that Riverdale's been kind of going through since, um, you know, the beginning of season one. Uh, but thanks to Betty's efforts, Pops is going to be open for business, for better or worse. Um, which we'll get into in a minute. But I did want to start off our conversation this week by kind of talking about Betty. So on, uh, on last week's show, we talked about how we didn't really feel like Betty had too much to do in episode one. She was definitely kind of playing supporting uh, player to all of all the people in her life. Um, but this time around, as Cheryl called her, she was very much kind of a stone cold bitch. And <laughs> I was all about it. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think about about Betty's, uh, you know, what Betty had to do this episode? Oh, my goodness. OK, so like they kind of were teasing at the sort of San Diego panel that we were going to get more Dark Betty. I think we all thought this was going to happen. But Dark Betty in kind of season one was very much Betty losing control. And I think what was so kind of great about this episode was Dark Betty. It's like she, Dark Betty was being harnessed, but Betty was still very much in control. And that kind of gave her a bit more depth to the character. It wasn't that she like kind of loses control and this kind of other element of her comes out. This is like she knows how to harness the bad girl within her to get what she wants. <laughs> and that was yeah. like more terrifying, more exciting, like go Betty. Yeah, absolutely. I think my one concern with it was like I had this moment where I was like, "Ooh, you're you're certainly your mother's daughter." And it's just like I do not like Alice Cooper, but this is one of the main reasons. Okay, so this is one of the things I heard you guys talking about last week. I was like, "Ooh, we're gonna fight about this." Alice Cooper is amazing, and I love Alice. No, what team Alice Olivia? Away. She's such a monster. I love monsters. I love monsters. No. I love characters. I just love her so much. I think like just she's so crazy at the beginning, but she kind of becomes this really sympathetic character with sort of how and like you kind of just get to the stage where she's being awful, but you're just cheering her on. You're like, yeah, go be Mina. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I was loving every moment of this episode. I told her she took out her camera and was photographing and stuff and being like a biatch. I was so she's so nosy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will say she's she seems like she's a damn good journalist at least. <laughs> yeah, not always the most ethical, but she's certainly good at her job. <laughs> I don't know if you guys kind of picked this up at the end of the last season, um, but it kind of was like the final season kind of ended with everyone sort of having this choice of whether or not they were going to become like their parents. And it definitely seemed like Betty was going to become like Alice and that Jughead was becoming like FP and that sort of Veronica was kind of rebelling and trying to be different and trying not to become her parents. But that was kind of the struggle that was set up sort of emotionally at the end of season one. And I felt like Betty's just giving in. She's just, I'm going to become Alice. Yeah, at least to a degree. And I think like maybe to speak to what you said, right? Like, I feel like hopefully it's her like harnessing that side of her and not um, succumbing to it, you know? The dark side of the Coopers. Yeah, yeah, which there certainly is no shortage of that. (laughs) Man, that notion just makes me sad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I... My, I, I can't, I can't see my sweet Betty becoming that monster. <laughs> I don't know, man. We definitely saw, we definitely saw another side of Betty tonight, uh, which, or I guess last it was night. Great. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I was all about it. Like, it's concerning, but she got, she got work done, man. <laughs> I mean, she blackmails Cheryl. She, she lies did. to no, the pussycats to get them to perform and save Pops. It's like she's basically like the patron saint of Pops chocolate shop. <laughs> <laughs> I think, what is it? The patron saint of Lost Causes, Alice called her. It was great. Yeah. And also, how much did you guys love that scene where Cheryl was in that ridiculous lingerie in like the school changing oh. rooms and Betty comes in to confront her? And I, that was one of the moments that started me screaming. I was like so into it. I'm so glad you brought that up, Olivia, because I had a little section about that one we get to Cheryl's part, but let's talk about it right now. 
I like fan service as a thing is a thing I don't like. It's a thing like I've said to Marco is like um, why I have trouble getting into anime for whatever reason oh, in this man. show. It just it works for me. Like it's it's just the right amount of trashy for stuff like that. It works it works the same way in anime. I don't I don't know. I don't I can't justify why I feel the way I do about Riverdale, but like it just it just works for me, okay. you know? It just does. I think there's a bit where uh, Cheryl says something about like, oh, you're kind of being mean. And Betty goes, no, we're just having a fun girl talk. <laughs> and my note is just the sound of a thousand fem slash fan fictions. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> please, uh, anybody, please send in your fanfic. Uh, we will accept it at thecomicspals at gmail.com, please. We will, le- we will read it live on the air. We will read it live. We'll, we'll enact it. I'll a thousand percent do that. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I'm Betty. I think what's I think what's kind of great is that Riverdale was always very referential to like its influences and very much sort of into bringing up pop culture references. And now that it's had like a whole season of fan sort of reactions, it's now starting to get a little bit meta. I feel, and I feel like yeah. it's going to get maybe more commenting on sort of like some of the fan sort of theories and stuff. There was a bit, I mean, maybe this is just me being like super with my microscope. There's a bit where sort of Cheryl refers to Betty and Jughead being like as being chimpanzees picking off lice. And obviously lice is, oh, the, yeah. is, is what you call bughead if you don't like bughead. So I'm oh. like, they're going to keep getting more and more met is my prediction for Riverdale season two. That's a really good point. Whoa, that's blowing I, my mind for uh, a Yeah, sec. I mean, I, I love that sort of thing. Thing. Like I, this show is dripping with Easter eggs and little nods to stuff like that, so I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. Um, so to take it back to to what's going on with Betty, like unfortunately, it seems like her her best intentions have kind of paved the way for a seedier element to move into Riverdale, um, as Hiram Lodge uh, secretly buys the property. So. You know, where do we think this is leading? Like, what do we think Hiram's motive is um, buying Veronica's love? Or if there is one? You mean his motives, like, as entering the town or his motives with Veronica? Either or, if you have thoughts on either. Like, I mean, I would assume that, like, ostensibly, right? Like, visually, he's making this purchase to make it seem as though he's doing something for Veronica, right? Mm-hmm. To mend fences. But... Given the fact that he lies about it and that they buy it, I would imagine that he has some ulterior motive there um, in the same way that he's been buying up property all all around the town. I feel like the secret villain of Riverdale is going to be revealed to be like gentrification in about six seasons time. They're going to be like, because <laughs> it's about how like, you know, Pop was fighting off the coffee chain, sort of a liquor store chain. Take it out. I feel like secretly like um, Hiram's just going to start building condos everywhere. It was Whole Foods all along. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't I don't know that that's far off because like i said that seems to be one of the major themes of of the the show right is old versus new um i guess new versus old and uh most of the new things in town definitely seem to be almost as problematic as all the old you know stuff that is wrong with the town so i definitely think that that's going to probably continue to be one of the themes that we play with as the the season progresses I kind of want to know why Mayor McCoy kind of hates everything in Riverdale. Like, every time Betty's like, we should save it because history. Mayor McCoy's like, I hate history. and just kind of tries to burn everything to the ground. I'm like, I'm not quite quite sure where she's at yet. Like, I kind of like Mayor McCoy, but I kind of want more development to her particular shade of evil. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. Um, While we're referencing, like, funny things we wrote in our notes, uh, I wrote Mayor McCoy turning her back since 2017. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. But also, I did feel for her, because I was just like, a woman can't even walk to her office without random teenagers accosting her. Like, one thing was Pops. I felt Pops was okay. I was like, that's a landmark. I understand that. But Jughead being like, oh, by the way, get my dad off this murder charge, or, like, accessory to murder charge. I'm like, that's not really the mere sort of provision. Like, that's sort of abuse of power. <laughs> yeah, right. And especially because she's like, what, is this an ambush? Like, or is this just, like, <laughs> ask Mayor McCoy for every ridiculous thing you can think of right now? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I agree. I liked I liked her character a lot in season one. I thought she was pretty complicated. And I thought her relationship with uh, with Josie was interesting, and I hope we get some more of that this season. Yeah, that was a but cool. Definitely whatever. Sorry. No, no. I was just saying. Yeah, it was a cool relationship that uh, I like to explore more. Um, I felt for Josie that first season. 
I get the sense that Josie's going to be a more relevant character this season. Like, I, I, I forget so. the actress. I forget the actress who plays her, but she seems to be pictured in all of the like main cast photos, along with like you know the four actual main characters and Kevin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, Ke- and Kevin. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like Kevin, he's in the main clique, but like he hasn't even talked this season. He's had like two lines, so like. <laughs> but that was that was the same last season. Like they were very big on promoting Josie and Kevin last season, and then they didn't really. I mean, Josie still had that amazing standout episode with um, I feel love and that sort of yeah, the whole thing with her father, family emotion. But she didn't do a lot else apart from that. So I'm hoping we're going to see more Josie. I think we definitely need to see more Josie. I'm glad that she's on the River Vixens. But I don't know. Yeah, it seems like they're like presenting her opportunities to be more involved. Yeah. Yes. Especially if, uh, you know, your hopes for her and Cheryl's, you know, relationship to, forgive my pun, but blossom a little bit more. Uh, um, <laughs> great plan. I, mean, I don't think that, I mean, did you guys kind of hear sort of the teasing about what where the storyline was going to go from that they kind of released over the summer? No, I hadn't. What, what's up? Oh, well, the, uh, I'm sorry, this is a little bit spoilers, I think, but um, apparently Reggie and Josie are going to sort of be some sort of a couple or okay. some sort of a romantic fling, uh, which, like, my heart broke, but that's what Riverdale wants. So I don't know if we're going to get Cheryl and Josie this season, but we'll always have them rap into each other about being each other's sugar, sugar candy girl. So we'll hold on to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could see them developing their relationship into something akin to like Betty and Veronica, where it's like they're, you know, they're not romantically involved, but that like there's like a very close friendship there that people are like obsessed with. <laughs> I think it should be because I feel like they are a good complementary cu- like couple in like platonically and potentially romantically in that they both kind of are ambitious and sort of know what they want and they're kind of more morally ambiguous than sort of like Betty is for example. Yeah, yeah and like even Veronica, right, where like she is maybe a little bit less on the side of like, you know, pure virtue, but she's sure trying to get there. You know, whereas I think both Cheryl and Josie are more interested in, in acting on their own behalf, which makes them a little bit more interesting because they're wild cards. They are. They are. They are wild cards and they're great. Cheryl is like standout character, I think, of the whole season. She's just the whole show, really. She's just been brilliant. So, you know, what? that gives that gives me an opportunity here. We're jumping around a little bit from where I wanted to lead the discussion. But that's how that's how these things go. So let's let's talk about Cheryl. Um, I think Cheryl has uh she's interesting because while she is a character has shown a lot of growth um at times i think we're kind of seeing her fall back into old habits uh this this episode and not necessarily in a way that feels out of character it feels like we're just backpedaling for backpedaling sake but um you know we kind of saw her feel a little bit closer to the main gang by the end of season one you know what with um, Archie saving her life and then, you know, helping her through this really traumatic time. But now that she's kind of back on top, it seems as though she's a little bit more, um, I don't know, just kind of comfortable being Queen Bee, like monster girl again. Um, did you guys get that same feeling? Yeah, yeah, I kind of felt like the whole Cheryl sort of suddenly being like, you know, the queen of the cheerleaders again. That was a little bit of like the plot kind of reset into the status quo a little bit. Yeah. And being like, it was sort of like a sitcom reset. They'd, they'd had this development of sort of Cheryl, of Veronica taking over. And then they were like, oh, actually, no, we preferred it with Cheryl in charge of that. And they just kind of very, I felt quite awkwardly sort of, were just like in two sentences, Veronica just relinquished control of the chili. She's just kind of like, mm, I don't really feel like it anymore. <laughs> and just like, yeah, went back to Cheryl. <laughs> it did definitely feel abrupt, but it was one of those things where like, I kind of bought it just because like, it didn't ever really seem like Veronica cared about being in charge ever in the first place. She took it over when, you know, Cheryl decided she didn't want to do it anymore. So she's just like, oh, you're taking it back over? Okay. Like... <laughs> I mean, I would have liked another, like, dance-off or something. I would have liked them to resolve that a bit more and been like, I'll fight you, I'll dance you for it. Yeah, like, but uh, you know what? Something. Cheryl as Queen Bee is kind of where Cheryl's best, so I'm quite happy to see where that goes. Agreed. Um, 
and while we're you know before we move on from just talking about like <laughs> like lovely Cheryl moments and fan service uh, how great was that moment where she's just like oh if you can be a cheerleader I can be in the Pussycats like let's just do a cover <laughs> <laughs> classy Cheryl and then they sang the milkshake song and it was oh, like amazing every time <laughs> amazing so those are good amazing. harmonies <sighs> that's what I was thinking top of pops that was I think all of my general like most squee moments were definitely show related <laughs> this episode it was a very good episode for Cheryl she didn't do a lot but what she did was like really like campy and trashy and great <laughs> it very much reminded me of like how she was in the last episode where it's like she's in literally two scenes but they're both just like such show stopping like moments that you're just like god damn I love Cheryl like she's really grown on me as a character <laughs> See, and I think hopefully by the end of season two, you'll feel the same way about Alice and she'll also grow on you like Cheryl. <sighs> That's a tall, tall order, my friend. Tough sell. <laughs> uh, so there is like one more Cheryl moment we have to talk about, but we're going to circle back to where it makes sense in my, my show notes. So let's let's take the pin out of the Hiram discussion, which we were starting earlier, which is this is like the first episode we've really spent any time with Hiram. Uh, and we got a lot of conflicting information about the man. So I've got some notes here I wanted to go through, but Olivia, I heard you gasp. So do you have thoughts on Hiram? I did have thoughts on Hiram. Hit us. And it's that I'm waiting for the kid gloves to come off and for him to show his true, like, mega anime self. <laughs> yes. <laughs> his final form. <laughs> yeah, he's still his final form. Yeah, he's still so like gentle with Veronica and I'm just waiting for that moment he's going to snap and it's going to be terrifying and like he's just he's got me gripped because he's been too nice and I know he's going to flip. Yeah, yeah, and we've gotten the foreshadowing that he's really a monster. So, I'm I'm with you. I'm interested to see where that goes. Um and I guess right like that's kind of we got the tale of two Hirams this episode. You know, it's like he's clearly trying to mend fences with his daughter and he seems sincere, right, in his desire to reconnect with her. But, you know, Veronica's not buying any more of this like, oh, daddy's got a present and everything's fine. Like she's, you know, she, like she said, like well, her eyes have been opened and like she can't just close them again. I don't I actually disagree. I, I don't think he's really trying to mend fences. I think he's trying to get allies. Um, cause that, that one scene, um, where he was talking to Veronica's mother, it was like, thank you for your loyalty versus like, thank you for like your caring or your loving or uh, just affection in general. It was very, very distant. His, his relationship with her. I, yeah, I, felt. I can see that. So yeah, I think more so he's trying to, he's trying to gain an ally out of Veronica and less so a, a daughter. Or at least make sure she's not an enemy, like neutralize yeah, her I mean, as a threat. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's kind of alienating her as well within the house because he kind of got rid of Smithers mm -hmm. now, replacing him with a piece of hot man candy. So you can see where he's plotting. <laughs> I oh my God. <laughs> that that made me so upset. Like, <laughs> I loved Smithers in season one. He was my guy. Yeah, Smithers dude. Like, I, I literally wrote on my first page of notes, I was like, yo, Smithers is the fucking homie. Like, why does he trust Hermione? <laughs> <laughs> Like he uh, but I think Hiram is all anticipation at the moment. He hasn't done anything that interesting. I think Hermione Lodge is sort of... I'm kind of... I'm in two minds about Hermione Lodge because there was the bit where he sort of... She took responsibility for the letter. And right. I was like, now this is really interesting. This is a new shade of bad for Hermione. And then she kind of retracted and it turned out he'd written the letter and I, they kind of put her back into this sort of Stepford gangster mole kind of character she's sort of taken on, which is really creepy, but there's not that much depth to it if she's just this loyal sort of like sort of wife servant yeah uh, just like doting wife or whatever that letter yeah, yeah yeah i want to see more of evil hermione lodge and her being like equal parts evil to hiram i definitely think we're gonna get more of that i you know i that's definitely the impression that i've gotten from how she's been portrayed um so i i, I would imagine that your hopes there will be rewarded more evil moms um but yeah that that i've seen i thought was a really telling moment right like how, you know, Veronica has this really great conversation with Jughead about their kind of mutual daddy issues, and she decides to give her parents, like, a second chance at a fresh start, um, but, you know, 
it's not even the end of that scene before we we see that they're already lying to her again. You know that they're withholding information and they're yeah. like they're never honest with her. You know, like there there's it's just she's so caught up in this web of lies that like she doesn't really know how involved her mother is in all this shit, but like she sure seems guilty and like she trusted her for the longest time and now she doesn't. And, you know, she went to bat for her father so many times and has realized that he really is a monster. So especially now that she's seen that they've gotten rid of Smithers, who was clearly an ally to her and somebody who was willing to speak honestly with her. Like, where do you think Veronica goes from here? You know, like, I feel like peace has been made seemingly, but I don't really think that she's going to buy that everything's hunky-dory. No, I I think that in terms of like where she's going, I feel they're going to string her along up until like a breaking point. Um, and once that breaking point hits, it's going to be Veronica against, uh, Hiram and Hermione. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but, and that's going to be so interesting because where does that leave her? You know, like she's still Mm -hmm. a kid and regardless of being morally correct, uh, Hermione's right that like, she's still a part of this family, whether she likes it or not. And, on some level, she's going to have to step in line unless she can keep up appearances in the air that things are fine. I think Veronica's got interesting places to go to. I don't think this was the best Veronica episode we've ever had in terms of, like, she didn't really do a whole lot this episode. It was kind of, I think there were so many different things on the go that Veronica kind of got, like, sort of the less character development of, like, apart from, like, you know, obviously Kevin, who didn't even get a line. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, of, like, the main characters who actually did things this episode. Yeah, I think it, with her, it's kind of like she's tied up with Hiram, and I think it's kind of like anticipatory again that you're gonna I'm waiting to see what Veronica's gonna get up to I expect great things but how creepy was it when Hiram showed up with like the yellow flowers for friendship and the cupcakes to win her over and like that's what exactly what she used to win over Betty in season one episode two yeah Yeah, I love that shade of like seeing bits of Hiram in Veronica and that sort of like where does she learn everything from she's probably gonna get a scene soon where like Hermione's washing blood off in the shower and Hiram comes in like with a pearl necklace (laughs) (laughs) and we see his beautifully sculpted stomach (laughs) I was gonna say it's also like another sort of meta Riverdale fandom callback where sort of um is it Betty and Kevin see Hiram for the first time they both go daddy which obviously is like such a big part of the Riverdale like they're always arguing over who's the daddy of the group and it was like I was like oh I get where you're going but no (laughs) yeah that was a little cringy but I have to say like just the the level of meta easter egg moments that they sneak into this show is just so great like and I and I have to say Olivia like I'm just gonna usually I say this till the end of the, the episode but you're fucking killing it like you're calling out this stuff left and right it's awesome uh, I love it I've, like I mean I kind of love the little easter eggs I'm sure you guys know that the guy's name is Black Hood I just, just in case you guys haven't brought this up yet Oh, oh, we're we're talking about that later. Okay, so okay, okay. yeah, put so a pin in that like one. Awesome yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Reference in the Archie universe as well. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no don't worry about it. That's cool. It's a, it's a teaser for later. We're coming up on it once we get through the rest of the stuff about the main characters. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll take us into uh, to Jughead, who um, definitely you know got some complicated family dynamics of his own going on. Uh, We had a lot of development of his plot this episode, but I think similar to Veronica's, it felt like um, not much development for the character, but more for like the situation that he's been finding himself in this season. It feels like a lot of kind of, like you said, anticipatory kind of like um, track laying right now, you know? Uh, But we, we learned a lot about what's going on with his father FP's trial. So, you know, once we learn that FP is facing anywhere from 20 to 40 years in prison, uh, Jughead kind of spends most of his time this episode, like, looking for a way out, you know? Uh, like we said, he goes and accosts Mayor McCoy. Uh, he tries to convince the serpents to help him break him out of jail before he's finally connected with Penny Peabody, who is a lawyer and a member of the Serpents. And, you know, she comes up with the admittedly brilliant idea of trying to, like, kind of leverage the Blossoms uh, to publicly forgive FP and, you know, hopefully get him uh, time served in good behavior instead of such a massive sentence. So, 
Um, I do want to talk about about that dynamic with Cheryl in a minute, but like, what do we think about what's going on with Penny here? You know, this is clearly another favor that he now owes to a serpent or the serpents um, that you know lands him deeper into this world that you know it doesn't really seem like he wants to be a part of. Whether or not you know he likes, you know, we we talked about it last week about how feeling close to the serpents makes him feel close to his dad, but I don't think he really sees himself as one of them. But, uh, you know, FP seems, like, really concerned that Jughead owes her something now. So, like, what's your read on this character? Well, she's played by the same actress who's Livewire in Supergirl. So, you should just know, he should just know from, like, his, in, like, his sort of television knowledge, she's bad news. Like, <laughs> like, like, like Courtney Love is a lawyer. Like, that's not a good, gonna be good. Uh, I, I really loved her. Does anybody know she's an actual Archie Comics character in any way? Because sometimes these are like sort of Easter egg characters, but I, I'm not familiar with a Penny Peabody in Archie. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, um, to my knowledge, no. Yeah, I, I like I wanted to look some stuff up about her beforehand, but I didn't get a chance to. I, with a name like Penny Peabody, I would imagine she's so. Be. You'd think, right? Yeah, I would. I would. Marco, you want to look that up real quick? Yeah, I'm looking cool, it right cool, now. Cool. Um. Yeah, so like, like it definitely seems like she, like you know, she's a little more sinister than she appears, right? Like the way that she asked for that. Oh, we're friends, you know. Like I did you a favor. Maybe someday you do me a favor. It's like Jughead. Have you not watched any crime movies? No. Give her some money. <laughs> like, don't trust a lawyer who set up shop in a tattoo parlor. Like that's just like <laughs> it's so beautifully <laughs> naff that whole exactly. like section. <laughs> But um, I think that she's kind of a great character. The second she showed up, I was like, this is going to be absolutely awesome. Because I think the thing, what you're kind of saying, like Jughead's got this sort of snake serpent, soft-sided serpent destiny. He's kind of going on. But the difference between him and Betty is that he'll say, oh, we should abduct these people as a joke. And Betty will be the person who will actually go and do that. <laughs> yeah, like that's a great point. He's like, "Oh yeah, blackmail and extortion," but they're a widow and an orphan, so I wouldn't do that. And Betty's like, "Wow, well, yeah. I'll do Betty's it." He's like, "Hold my drink." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Penny uh, has a very, very minor role in one of the Archie comics. Um, she appeared in the Little Archie series, which is like even younger than whatever what Archie is in the normal comics. Um, and she's apparently the girlfriend of Bully Fangs Fogarty. Um, okay. Yo, I like it. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> That's like such a deep cut for no reason. <laughs> yeah, right? All right. It's, it's like. Like the thirty-first issue of the Adventures of Little Archie, and like, she's in that one story, and that's it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. What the fuck? Okay. That's weird. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, it's a great. It's a crazy pull. Yeah, I mean, not not too much to go on here, but I mean, I think that's obviously going to play into the developing plot we have with Jughead and him getting in over his head in regard to the serpents. So. Uh, more on that in the weeks to come, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think I had one other note for Jughead because I'm really sorry. I just I can't stand Cole Sprouse and I can't stand Jughead. I'm so sorry. You're going to kick me off the co- podcast. What? Olivia, you... Oh, oh my man. God. You like Alice and you hate Jughead? <laughs> I'm like... Uh, what is wrong with you? <laughs> is is Olivia the monster? I'm, I'm Who the hurt you? I am the gentrification antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> she is the Whole Foods. <laughs> So I've got Olivia Whole I've got Foods Hicks. That's your new nickname. <laughs> one of which is I hate Jughead, and the other one is why would you just sneak in the back of Archie's house like that? Like I was kind of quite taken by that moment where Archie was like so jumpy, and obviously his dad's just been shot, and Jughead still sneaks in to the back of the house, and he's like, "Of course you're gonna get hit," and then he acts like Archie's weird for trying to hit him. I'm like, I would hit you. Well, I think. That is actually a good a good opportunity for us to move on uh, to talk about Archie, but uh, I, I don't know. Like I buy that, you know. It's like if you're if you've been best friends with someone since you were like children, like you don't usually like necessarily knock on the door to go into their house, you know. I feel like middle of the night and his dad's just been shot. You should maybe consider reevaluating your formula. Yeah, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Actually, you know what? Before we get into Archie, I did. I wanted to use that opportunity to give the, my final thoughts on on the Cheryl moment we skipped earlier, and then some of the other minor character stuff. Um, so, in relation, like, think about Cheryl's testimony on FP's behalf. I thought that was uh, 
That was one of the juicier Cheryl moments we've been treated to, I think. That's going to come back to bite them. You, you think yeah, so? I, I, I think so. Yeah, I was, I was going to say the same thing. It's like, you don't, you don't, she's one of those characters you don't just like owe a favor to, same as like Penny, I would imagine. You know, she's, she is cunning and devious um, and knows how to play a crowd. And we saw that in her testimony. Um, so I think that it's, one, it was getting that recording back and yeah, two, leverage. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely forced to do it, right? Right. I think it's interesting because I think you could read it that way, right? Like that, because she lied, right? She she went that extra mile to lie to get FP out of it. And you can either look at that as one of Cheryl's rare moments of being a decent person or, like you said, to get leverage over them in the future next time she needs something from them, which I wouldn't put that past her. She's that kind of person. Yeah, but also, like, uh, this is a show moment we didn't actually talk about, that what she wanted to do with the tape was force her burn victim mother to watch her son being shot. And there was never a reaction shot for that. We didn't ever see um, Mama Blossom react to that, like, moment of, like, arch-villain evilness from Cheryl. Yeah, I, I didn't know how I was supposed to read that because of that. You know, because we didn't... That was a... Go ahead. Uh, that was a power move. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It was, it was her flexing muscle emotionally for her mother. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, right? Like, we got that speech from her last episode where she was literally you know, choking her mother. And, uh, you know, she's clearly on top now in uh, in this power dynamic, which considering how much her mother pushed her around and everything in season one, I can't say I'm surprised that she's acting this way. Yeah, it's also, it reminds me of the first season where, um, uh, um, what is it? Oh my God, I forgot his name, her father. Oh, I actually don't remember either. Um, Whatever, Mr. Blossom. Yeah, yeah, Papa Blossom. <laughs> yeah, Papa Blossom, where he mentions, you know, you should have been the one leading the like the blossoms, not the the son, because she she's willing to go like those, take those extra steps. She's willing to yes. to cross the line, you know. So I think it's just similar to what we saw with um, getting hints of uh, their their parents with uh, Veronica. This is a hint that this is her father. You know, this this is her father's daughter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also I'm still salty about the fact that the father was prepared to literally give over the Blossom fortune to Archie just because he had red hair and couldn't see that <laughs> Cheryl was like a capable businesswoman. And like, I feel like there's like a bit of like short-sightedness on the Blossoms business-wise, which hopefully Cheryl doesn't have and she will have foresight and be able to get this stuff. But you never know. Yeah, I think I think her father's biggest problem was that he looked at her being unhinged as a weakness when really it's it's her biggest strength that she's crazy. Yes, <laughs> yes, kind of like Alice, my bae, oh my who God. like you know you never know what she's gonna do, Olivia. and she has zero like limits because she crazy. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I did have one last thing I wanted to touch on before we get into. Uh, all of the stuff around Archie this episode, which I never thought Archie would be the thing I was most excited to talk about on Riverdale. But um, so we got a little nod to a new character, maybe, and um, what I think is going to be at least somewhat of a developing plot this season, which was uh, we got the first appearance of Midge Clump, <sighs> who is a character from so the comics, good. right? Yes. No, she's a, quite a major character in the comics, I would Do say. Do you want to talk about her a little bit real quick? Because I this is another thing I didn't get a chance to look up before the show. So what's what's the deal with Midge? Oh, Midge is like, basically, she's Moose's girlfriend, but Reggie's sort of like kind of in love with her a little bit. And so Reggie and Moose always kind of fight over Midge. She's quite headstrong. She's common sense. She's like the warm person who's not over their head over her heels and with Archie because she loves Moose, who's like this big lug. So she's actually a really kind of strong kind of side character. And um, I think also in sometimes in the comics when they can't characterize Betty and Veronica's friendship very well, Midge then kind of steps up and kind of becomes the friend and the sounding board for Betty. I think we saw that in the new sort of 
bit uh, Poison, and I- Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Bane and Veronica sort of mini-series issue one, Midge was kind of there as the main friend for Betty because they were kind of too busy setting up Veronica as an antagonist. Okay. So she... She's a really strong, like, she's not like, you know, I mean, I think she's more prevalent in the comics than Kevin. Like, she's a far more yeah. present character. She's utilized a lot more. At least in the modern mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like, are you talking about New Riverdale or? No, I'm talking like just across the board in the comics. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the newer stuff, she doesn't really pop up as much or even Ke- Kevin for that matter. Yeah, Kevin really hasn't been that present. He's sort of in the Mark Wade stuff, he's kind of showing up a bit. Here and there, yeah. But yeah, no, it was exciting to finally get Midge because they mentioned her in like episode two of season one or episode one of season... No, episode two of season one. They sort of half-heartedly mentioned that she was there and she was (laughs) Moose's girlfriend and we never saw her. And then like we saw her and I was so happy Midge had finally shown up. Yeah, I had the same reaction. Uh, I'm a big fan of those uh, those two characters. So um, yeah, to, to see them like there and be like oh my god it's it's midge and it's like yeah yeah i'm just gonna go talk to moose later it's like oh i was like oh my god it's happening i'm a big fan of them they're they're one of my biggest ships oh they are like midge and moose is like totally a ship if you don't ship them you're a monster like yeah you're a true monster yeah even truer than someone who doesn't like jughead a midge and moose not ship non-shipper uh my notes for midge was midge exclamation mark exclamation mark and then ag the base because as she kind of <laughs> appeared for the first time there was this really good like sort of dark bass line as she kind of walked in and it was brilliant she just even the actress was perfect the haircut was perfect she was like a little bit of a bad yes girl. the haircut the haircut the relationship the way she was talking to reggie and you could tell he was into her but she was kind of like now nah, i'm with moose and it yeah. was just really i was she was just so perfect kudos to the actress i don't know what her name is i haven't stalked her yet but she was brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll be talking a little bit more about midge in a few minutes but um yeah hopefully i mean hopefully we get some some more about her in the episodes to come um, so the other thing I wanted to ask about was, uh, what did you guys think about the, the, all the talk about Jingle Jangle? I think we got a nod to that last episode. It's clearly some kind of drug that gets put in pixie sticks or whatever. So is that a thing in Archie Comics? I've never heard of Jingle Jangle. What it reminded me of was Giggle Pig from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is it called? <laughs> Stupid drug in Brooklyn Nine Nine, the hunting down. Like, do you got that's any great. jingle jangle? Yeah, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't know about that, but the fact that we've heard about it twice now leads me to think it's probably going to come up again. So, something to think about. I think Reggie's going to get into trouble for it. Would be my sort of prediction. I guess Reggie kind of fits the sort of sleazy, um, yeah, drug dealer type. I don't know if. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I'm uh, the new actor for Reggie is great, but I'm still so heartbroken because Ross Butler was just the best looking, most gorgeous man on the show, <laughs> in my opinion. I'm just so sad he's gone, but the new Reggie's good too. Yeah, he's fine. I, I I always think stuff like that's a little bit weird, but like when it's a minor character like Reggie, who's like maybe been on screen two or three times, like that were memorable. It's like. It's not the worst thing in the world, you know? Yeah. I think because he wasn't in season one too much, they kind of got away with it. It's great that we're actually getting Reggie properly in this in this season, that we are starting to get Reggie appearing and doing stuff. And him and Archie have really good sort of, um, I don't know what, the, they're frenemies. So they've got really good frenemy chemistry going on. Uh, he's a drug dealer. Oh, it's beautiful. So before we get into our closing thoughts, I did just want to talk a little bit about our main man, Archie. So like we talked about last week, uh, I think... I think there seems to be a decided effort to focus more on Archie this season. Um, maybe it's just because he actually has an interesting, like, long-term story to deal with right now. But uh, there was a lot going on for him this episode. I mean, he's still dealing with the fallout of, you know, last last episode. I mean, he's, he's not sleeping. He's constantly on guard. You know, he's uh, obviously becoming very paranoid. He's thinking about taking drugs and... Uh, you know, just really a lot of things that are pretty out of character for him. So it seems like he's really in a rough place psychologically, even at the beginning of this episode. And it really only gets worse um, when he finds out the truth about what happened to Grundy. You know, obviously that's going to be emotional for him because they were involved and had a relationship. But I think it only furthers his fears that somebody is out to get him and, and the people that are close to him as well. So what did you guys think about 
kind of where Archie's at right now and and uh, how they've been dealing with him this season so far? I mean, I feel like he's still kind of the plot happens around Archie and he, I mean, I mean, also, I mean, I obviously I have my favorite characters who I tend to focus on more in my notes, but I have so few notes about Archie's development this kind of episode i think what i kind of did love and i feel really bad this is me just being an awful human the fact that grundy got killed with the cello bow i was like that it was beautiful. so <laughs> like it was like i love that too is like when i realized that that was because you know I, I remember her getting choked with the cello bow but i kind of forgot about the gift or whatever so like when they had that moment of him realizing like oh she was choked with the cello bow i was like oh that's so traumatizing like <laughs> Oh, poor Archie. He's just never going to make it for okay. But I think it'll definitely Archie sort of being like jingle jangle, like looking at the jingle jangle. That was kind of, that's not something that we'd really ever associate with Archie, even in the Riverdale universe of him being like interested and tempted by drugs. Yeah, right. Like he's always presented as like a very straight laced kind of kid. Yeah. And I think the way they dealt with sort of post-traumatic stress with Archie was actually really great this episode. There was like the amazing bit of direction where he goes into the um, Pops Diner and the roller skates through the pool of blood. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. a like, great that moment. Was really so cool. cool. Like it was like so well done and that was like such a brilliant like moment. Yeah, I, I think watching him deal with that with this trauma with that PTSD uh, as it were has been a really really fun development this season um, so far anyway and it's funny actually I have in my notes uh, my girlfriend came in about halfway through the episode she watches the show um, but had, had not seen this episode yet and she was just like oh my god PTSD Archie this season is just like it's really heartbreaking <laughs> He hasn't been shaven either. He's he's looking very disheveled, and yeah. it's, it's. I feel bad. He for just him. looks ragged, like like he's really out of it. I feel like I'm not sure how much longer him and uh, Veronica are gonna be because I mean, like he kind of does need. I like that she was able to be like, you need to go and talk to the school counselor, and you need to sort of maybe start talking to somebody about this. Um, because I think Veron or Veronica could really offer his sexy shower time, which is maybe not always what he needs psychologically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's reached the limits of her therapy. But, um, he didn't get it. He didn't get the help he needed. So I don't, I don't know. This is good. Yeah, right. Instead, it's like he decides he's going to like lean into drugs or something, which is obviously not the right call. Um, and I, I think, yeah, you're right. Like, that's one of the things that's been fun, I think, to watch, uh, Veronica grow as a character is, you know, like she said, right? She's not great. At, at being there for people emotionally she doesn't have a lot of experience of really being vulnerable with someone and um and letting people be vulnerable to her so i think like that is going to be a consistent problem for them moving forward but we are seeing her grow and adapt in the way she's trying to deal with with what archie's going through um and yeah i mean you know we saw her fall back into the old habit of sexy shower time but i think her admittedly leaning on betty to realize what's happening with Archie and push him to get help is a good um, step for her as a character, whether or not it ends up making an impact on Archie. Definitely. Also, uh, just to go back to Miss Grundy's sort of death, I don't know if you kind of you're going to be bringing this up at the end. Like Alice lied in the morgue when she said she didn't know her. Yeah, she said she didn't know her. Does this mean that Alice is somehow connected to all of the murders that are happening? I wouldn't be surprised because that's what I thought last time, and it was true. I mean, like, <laughs> she was definitely more wrapped up in it than we like were led to believe. So, I mean, like, I I wouldn't be surprised. I I can't imagine what her dis- like reason for trying to kill Fred would be. You know what it is. I bet she's still salty that Archie made Betty cry in episode one, and this is her very long, the super long con. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I have a, a thing I want to touch on about Alice, but uh, before we get away from it, um, Reggie and the drugs, right? So, like Reggie tries in the context. Like, if you think Jughead showing up at the back door is bad, what he does, that's like yeah, but like Reggie's in. You expect Reddy to do stupid stuff like that. Jughead's supposed to, like, not do stupid stuff like that. But, yeah, I think Reggie not only did something so immature and so typically Reggie and just, ugh, he's such a douche, but then even Reggie was like to Archie, I don't think you should be having more drugs. And when your drug dealer telling you you need to stop doing drugs... <laughs> That's a sign. Even begun. <laughs> right, yeah, and I have to say, like, that was the thing I actually really liked that moment for Reggie, trying to be his friend a little bit more. 
this uh, episode. And, you know, granted, I mean, he's still trying to give him drugs in a time where he doesn't need drugs. But I think when he realizes the severity of where Archie's at, like, he does try to talk some sense into him. And it's like, look, man, like, you can't attack a guy with a gun with a baseball bat. Which ultimately leads Archie down a not-so-great uh, road where he buys a gun from Dilton Daly, which I was not surprised by. I called that as soon as Reggie said that shit. I was like, oh, great. Obviously, Archie is going down a pretty difficult path here, you know? And, and I think that there's the potential for a lot of hard, more hard times ahead for him. So what do you guys think about about that? Like, where do you think... What do you think is going to be the breaking point for Archie where he really finally deals with this trauma? Like episode 21. <laughs> <laughs> calling it there. That's it. Done. That's it. That's, where we're, that's what we're calling it. Yeah. So you go, Marco. You have something more important to say. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I think he's going to get to the point where he's going to he's gonna be the one to hurt someone he loves. Like that, that irony is going to hit him. Um and I think he's I can see that he's gonna you know he's gonna devolve to that point where he can't mentally he isn't as mentally stable and he's gonna he's gonna snap and it's, he's gonna hurt somebody do you think he's gonna push Veronica away and he'll lose Veronica and that'll be like the real sort of low yeah. of the low of the low of the low yeah we're gonna break that ship we're gonna sink it yeah, yeah it's gonna have to happen I, I think I think that's probably true um so one last thing to touch on uh about this murder is um so we had a great what i thought was a great line from alice which is probably the best one of the episode uh which one of the most self-aware lines i've ever heard in television uh my my we've come a long way from since dances at the gym and varsity football tryouts haven't we yes it's like we sure have alice <laughs> <laughs> this ain't varsity tryouts anymore oh goodness that was such right. a good line because it not only works within the context of like you know this sort of constant there's no longer the 50s riverdale is changing it's just so meta the whole sort of very much throwback. so and also because all archie kind of worried about for quite a long period of that sort of first season was whether he was more into football or music right and now he's got real issues to deal with and it's quite interesting yeah yeah things got very real for him um and uh, so from from you know Alice's connections, we learned some things about about Grundy's murder. We learned that there's no force entry uh, that she likely knew the killer. That's one of the things they say, right? So uh, we rule out her ex husband. So I'm kind of left here thinking, so what? You know, what the fuck? What's going on there? And then the fact that we also at the end get the murder, seeming murder anyway, of Midge and Moose. You know, I, I got to ask you, like, who do we think is the killer here? You know, uh, it, it seems like, you know, like we said, it seems like maybe Alice has a connection. You know, there's been the drops that maybe it's it's a connection to the lodges. But, you know, we don't we don't really seem to have a good idea of what's going on. And um, something that Olivia teased earlier is uh, there seems to be a little deep cut about this killer. Um, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this article real quick for you guys, just an excerpt from it from CBR, which is, has an Archie superhero character arrived in Riverdale? So this came after, out after chapter 14, and, uh, I'm just gonna read it for you. So it says, the Riverdale gang may have just gotten a visit from an Archie char comics character called the Black Hood. In chapter 14, A Kiss Before Dying, the season two premiere, Archie's father, Fred Andrews, was rushed to the hospital after da 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 da. We know all this, right? So, um, this is a man who's constantly referred to as the Black Hood. But does that mean he's the Black Hood? And who exactly is the Black Hood? In February 2015, Archie Comics launched a new imprint called Dark Circle Comics, which reimagined the publisher's decades old non Archie characters. The imprint's first title was Black Hood. Written by Dwayne uh, Swierzynski, uh, with art by Michael Gaydos. Uh, so the series recasts the Black Hood, who was like a Golden Age hero, as uh, Greg Hedinger, who is a former police officer from Philly, who gets shot in the face uh, after taking on the original Black Hood, Thomas Kip Burland, who then takes the mask and basically takes over the role as the Black Hood um, and taking on a crime lord, all that kind of typical vigilante superhero stuff. So... Over the course of the episode, right, Archie is questioned about the shooting and like, has, which, you know, we'll link to down below uh, that you guys can check it out for yourself. I mean, it looks exactly like this character. So what do you think's going on here? Who Who is this killer? Who is Black Hood? 
Oh no, I I haven't read the Dark Circle stuff. I I wish I kind of had picked it up in such an intelligent way as CBR did. I picked it up when the Instagram hashtag was hashtag Black Hood, and I was like, oh, that's a superhero, right? But I don't know the character, so I don't know. I don't have. I don't know anything really about Black Hood other than he was a character they revamped, and he's an Archie old Archie superhero. So I don't have any extra sort of deets to give you guys on that one. All right. Well, I mean, that's it's it's something to check out. I mean, it's definitely something to keep your eyes open for. It, I mean, it doesn't really seem like we have much more to go on beyond that connection. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, at, at this point, I, I feel like I'm going to ask this question every week until we get an idea. But I don't, I have no fucking idea. I have no idea who this murderer is. I'm going to be disappointed if it's like some random person. You know, I, I, I really hope they don't do that. But at this point... Either they've done such a good job of throwing the entire populace watching this show, or it's like some rando character. I mean, I gotta say, it, the shooting of Midge and Moose has really thrown me because mm-hmm. it kind of suggests two completely different storylines, but also, okay, so the first two killings were kind of very much connected to Archie, and you could see that Archie, I didn't think Archie was necessarily wrong when he was saying it's somehow connected to me. That final shooting, though, of Midge and Moose was kind of reminding me there's like an American serial killer who kind of started off by shooting teen couples. Uh, It kind of really reminded me of that sort of um, real-life killer, and it kind of was bringing back to what, I mean, I'm going to say his name, and I hate him, Cole Sprouse. Sorry, Cole. Talking about, (laughs) he was right. He was right on this occasion. Cole Sprouse was talking about it being more of a horror this time, and I think it's they Midge and Moose follow the typical horror teen death trope of they're into sex and they're into drugs, so they're gonna get killed first. And I think that's exactly what they're setting up. And also Jughead mentions Nightmare on Elm Street 3 or something. I think that kind of, but that's like a completely different sort of slasher sort of. And in slasher movies, it kind of doesn't really ever make that much sense why someone's getting killed. Yeah, sometimes but, it's just random, right? So it's it kind of thrown me. Sorry, I'm rambling, but it's kind of thrown me a little bit because this seems so unconnected to anything else that we've seen and any of the other killings that it only at this at this stage with this amount of information, it only makes sense that he is just a rando killer, which we don't want. Yeah, and I, I think you're right because, yeah, you're right, right? Until that killing it all does seem directly connected to Archie. It seems like someone is out to get Archie. And the fact that we have this other seemingly random killing, um, it kind of throws a wrench in that theory. And it's interesting to me to see that, like, he shoots Mr. Andrews, he shoots Midge and Moose, but he strangles Mrs. Grundy, and they make a point of saying that this was, like, a very personal crime. So... Does that mean anything? Is that an outlier for some reason? Like, it just raises more questions, right? And there are two killers, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's copycat. Like, who the fuck knows? Maybe Miss Grundy's a copycat killer because she seems the only one that's got like a personal. I mean, like Fred Andrews is kind of personal, but that one seemed more connected to Hiram. Now, why would Hiram be shooting Miss Grundy or these kids? Why would Hiram be shooting Moose and Midge? And I think that raises, that like throws the whole is Alice involved thing into question too, because I don't, why would she kill two random kids? I mean, other than just she's kind of evil and she might just do it for fun, it don't make any sense. Yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't track with her character, her motivations. Do you think, just one, one last question about Moose, since you guys are both fans of Moose, what do you think's his deal sexually? Because wasn't, wasn't the whole thing he was fooling around with Kevin in the first season? Do you think he's bi or is he like just with Midge to have a beard? I think his deal is the Riverdale writers revising things between the first episode. (laughs) 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 Uh, I think he's sort of supposed to be He's supposed to be bi, isn't he? Or, like, closeted. I think that's how I would read the character. But I love Moose and Midge as a couple. Yeah, I I definitely read him as being closeted in the first season, and that's why I don't know if, like, his relationship with Midge is sincere or if, you know, he's just, like, keeping keeping up appearances. That's maybe why he needs the jingle jangle, because it's, like, it's kind of like a Viagra as well, right? So maybe he needs that to kind of, so he can get it on with Midge, because he's not attracted to her. Totally possible. Which he should be, because Midge is great, but, like, maybe in this universe, he's like, I need the jingle jangle. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he's more a fan of uh, the Coos ship, as it were. 
Maybe he'll wake up in hospital and Kevin will be at his bedside and there'll be like this grand reunion. <laughs> that would be fucking adorable. <laughs> Can't you? Isn't there a nice gay kid at your school you could take out? Yeah, dad. Me. <laughs> oh, I love that sort of Kevin Keller and his dad relationship so much. I because I totally thought at that stage, early days in Riverdale, they were going to just play it straight, and <laughs> that was such a innuendo. But I thought they were going to just play it the normal way, and Chef Keller would be like, "Oh, no son of man's going to be going out with other guys." But I liked that they were just like, "No, he like totally is cool. He just wants Kevin to get a nice boyfriend, which we all want. yeah." Like I, yeah. I loved like that. It was a very like. That that's the kind of portrayal I think we need to see more of 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 with gay characters where it's just not a thing like it's not um like we don't need to necessarily have that conversation every time right like you would assume that the small town southern midwest wherever it is uh sheriff man's man dad would like have a problem with it but I love that it's more that he's just like can you just like go on a date already like go find somebody and have sex like <laughs> I don't care that it's gay sex as long as you're having sex son <laughs> Apparently Cheryl in her in the words of Madeline Petch, the actress, is gonna have an unexpected love interest this season. Ooh. So I have two predictions for that. One way it's gonna be is it's gonna be a, a lady of some description, maybe Tony Topaz, maybe we'll get Chirosi and Josie. But my one prediction is gonna be a lady. The second prediction is what I hope we don't go and be because who else would be an unexpected love interest for Cheryl but Hiram Lodge? That's my second <gasps> prediction. What the fuck? Oh my god, Olivia, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Riverdale like encourages crazy theories and conspiracy theories though and that's my, that's my one for Cheryl's love I mean interest. they've also showed us that like inappropriate relationships between adults and children are not off the table so yeah I think that's what we kind of all want we kind of want Riverdale to push it as far as they can go without it teetering over because I think you were right last week you said it's like a fine line the show is trying to walk and that is totally ridiculous but it's so serious and that's what makes it truly genius and I always wanted to push it so far in the ridiculous that they can, po- as far in the ridiculous as they can possibly get. Like, last season I thought we were going to have like a vertigo thing with like, um, Cheryl was going to sort of dress Betty up as Polly and then become Jane. I thought all sorts of crazy was going to go down. And so I'm kind of hoping more crazy is going to happen this, ye- this season. <laughs> well, uh, we're definitely looking forward to it either way. So, uh, make sure you guys keep tuning in to hear our thoughts on every episode as they come. And uh, what more craziness there is for Riverdale to have for us. So that's going to, I think, wrap up the discussion here for uh, episode season two, episode two, chapter 15 of the Riverdale Review. Uh, if you guys want to let us know your thoughts on the episode again, you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can follow the Comics Pals or at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Or you can just hit us, you know, down in the comments below. And uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you guys would like the show on your platform of choice. Bounce over to iTunes and uh, give, us a, give us a rating. Subscribe on YouTube. Share with your friends, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you again so much, Olivia, for joining us. Oh, it's no worries. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. You're welcome back anytime. Despite your disdain for the best character on the show, you're always welcome on this podcast. Uh, we had a great time Thank with you. Thank you so much. Uh, so just real quick, can you tell the, the pals at home where they can find you if they want to connect with you on social media or follow your work? Yeah, of course. Uh, I've got a Twitter, which is at Miss Olivia Hicks, which is sort of more academic and boring. But I also have a Instagram, which is just kind of fan art, mostly of Riverdale this time of year. And that's at Lasuma. Magica Riscate, um, R-E-S-C-A-R-T-E on Riscate. And don't ask why I have that username. It just, I do. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. Uh, and again, if you want to connect with me and Marco, you can get our Twitter handles in the description down below. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Oh, um, check, please. Uh, pop, check, please.